0: John Wimber and his wife, Carol, were instrumental in in spiritual renewal for millions of people in the 80s and 90s. And uh, when John Wimber became a Christian in the 60s, he was in a Quaker church, and these Quakers had said, speaking in tongues, that's of the devil. You don't go anywhere near that. One day he's, uh, he's walking and praying, and suddenly he realizes that he doesn't understand a lot of the things that are coming out of his mouth. And he's like, how did this happen? I was talking to God and all of a sudden the devil got in. How did this happen? He comes home and he tells his wife Carol and uh, Carol reprimands him for this. Like, you gotta watch yourself more closely. And so, okay, okay, I'll try not to do that anymore. (laughs) Short while later, his uh, his three-year-old son comes screaming down the hill towards the house and he's covered in bees. He's been stung like 50 times, uh, which for a three-year-old would basically be a death sentence. So just stung all over the place. John, who is a new believer still at this time, does something he had never done before. He takes the boy, he lays his hands on him, and he just starts praying. And to Carol's ears, what he was praying sounded a lot like Cantonese. And John definitely did not speak Cantonese. Uh, but as he's praying in these, in these tongues, uh, all of a sudden, all the stings clear, clear up. And the boy is completely fine. He's sleeping there peacefully. And, and Carol kind of chalked it up to natural immunity, right? He must have some kind of super immunity to bee stings. Until the next time, because tongues doesn't exist and healing doesn't happen either. Until the next time, he was stung by a bee and uh, it didn't just go away. I mean, he, it hurt and, and the sting stayed there. I tell you those two stories because I think they, um, they encapsulate a lot of different experiences when it comes to this gift of speaking in tongues. You've got, you've got intimacy with God. You've, you've got healing, but you also have chaos and divisiveness. You know, this, this gift tends to give us as believers, uh, a fair bit of trouble. And it did in the tw- in the first century as well with the Corinthians. I've talked about the range of responses that we have to spiritual gifts, and I think that that range of responses is most stark here when it comes to speaking in tongues, that you have some people who have this gift, and they want to do it all the time. You've got other people who think that any modern manifestation of tongues is, uh, is manufactured at best. And then you've got people who Maybe believe that yes, this gift is real, but I feel really uncomfortable with it. I'd rather not talk about it. Bad news for you. We're going to talk a lot about it today. So if you take a 40 minute bathroom break right now, we'll know why. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll be judging you. So Some people feel really uncomfortable with this. And so what we need is is God's direction. We need his, his guidance. And we thank God that, that he inspired, through the Holy Spirit, he inspired Paul to write words to the church in Corinth that are for us today as well. So, uh, Lord, I just I want to pray that your word would come through so clearly. And, uh, Lord, that, that any kind of misconceptions or misunderstandings we have, that you would, you would be at work in us in this time I want to pray, Lord, that the words that you have given me will, will benefit my brothers and sisters, that it will in, instruct them and, uh, and encourage them and move them closer to you. Lord, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be so powerfully at work today as, as, we, uh, as we tackle this, this topic. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got your, your Bible, you can turn in 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, if you don't... Lucky for you, we've got it on the screen. But 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 1. Paul says, "'Follow the way of love, "'and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, "'especially prophecy. "'For anyone who speaks in a tongue "'does not speak to people, but to God. "'Indeed, no one understands them. "'They utter mysteries by the Spirit. "'But the one who prophesies speaks to people "'for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort.' Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues... What good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen to your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. (laughs) But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So we've, we've been in this series in, in spiritual gifts for, um, for a month or so, and I've said a few times, this, this is the issue. Paul has been given a lot of background, laying a lot of foundations, and here is where we start to see the real issue in Corinth, and it really does revolve around this gift of speaking in tongues. And Paul says a lot of things in this section, and uh, it might be hard for us to kind of grasp, okay, what, what is Paul trying to say? So let's 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 organize this morning around five questions. And the first question is, what is this gift? What is speaking in tongues? And I thought about showing you a YouTube video because I watched a lot of them about this this past week. A lot of a lot of videos of people, and, and there's some creepy, weird ones, and there's some really inspiring ones. But I think you all have access to this thing called YouTube. Yes, so you could do this after the service. This is your post-service homework: is to uh, Look, look this up. Google speaking in tongues. Watch some videos if you want. But for today, I want to stay more close to what Paul himself says. And there are a few things that I want to pull out here especially. First of all, he says that when someone speaks in tongues, they are speaking to God. He is the, he's the audience. He's the recipient of this. Uh, and, he, and he contrasts this with prophecy. He says prophecy is, is speaking to other people right? It's directed towards others. But tongues is directed towards God. So it's primarily in private prayer and and praise that this kind of comes through. It's related to the second point, which is that tongue speaking is not understandable to human ears on their own. Uh, that, that That these words that people speak when they're speaking in tongues are not understood by others, including the tongue speaker themselves which is an important thing to note. This is why Paul says later on that when someone prays in a tongue, their spirit prays, but their mind is unfruitful. It's unfruitful because they actually don't comprehend what they're saying. Their spirit is praying, but their mind doesn't know what's going on. Which is also why Paul, right here in the, in the early part of the chapter, says that the tongue speaker speaks in mysteries by the Spirit. Mysteries because, again, they're not understandable. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that they're meaningless. It, it means that they're indecipherable, but they are meaningful. God understands. Tongues have content to them. It actually means something, even if people don't understand what they mean. God does, which leads to the third point, that the tongues are the Holy Spirit praying through a believer. So the person speaking in tongues utters mysteries by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through a believer. And this is related to a verse I I gave you last week. I want to go back to it again. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, In our weakness, we, uh, we don't know what we should be praying for, and so the Holy Spirit intercedes for us the Holy Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. So to my ears and to others, this sounds a lot like how Paul describes the gift of tongues in, in 1 Corinthians. It's, it's the, the, the human does not know how to pray. There's some deep burden, some deep, deep longing, uh, and, and, the, and the human can't can't express this. And so the Holy Spirit actually speaks through, prays through in indecipherable uh, words, groans, sounds that, that, don't, that, don't, uh, that, that aren't, again, understood by, by others. So it's the Holy Spirit praying through a believer. But the fourth point about this is that despite that it's the Holy Spirit, it's this, this gift is still under the control of the one who prays, the one who uses it. So we might sometimes think that some of these gifts, it's, it's like somebody just kind of goes into a trance and their eyes roll to the back of their head and they, like, their eyes glaze over and it's like they're not themselves anymore, right? It's like the Holy Spirit has just kind of possessed them and they have no control over it at all. But that's not actually how this works. How else or why else does Paul give instructions in this chapter about when it is and is not appropriate to use this gift? If people don't have control over it, then why give any instructions about it? It's like, well, I can't help it. The Holy Spirit Spirit made me do it. No, you actually do have some responsibility here. Later on in, uh, in chapter 14, Paul's going to say two or three people at the most should pray in tongues and only if there's an interpreter in the gathered assembly. So again, there is this dynamic interplay between the spirit and the individual in this gift, like there is in all the gifts. If I have the gift of preaching, I actually have to decide to, to use it. It's the Holy Spirit uh, who's given me this gift and is working through me, but I also, I also have to utilize it, activate it, actually be faithful to it. So there's this interplay here. Uh, fifth thing we see about tongues here is that one of the primary contents of tongues is praise, so Paul later on talks about how he, he uh, sings with his, with his spirit, praising God in the spirit. He says when someone's praying and, and, and praising in tongues that they are giving thanks well enough. So this is one of the things that happens when someone is, is speaking in tongues is, is oftentimes that it's, they are actually praising God. And that this is what tongues is makes sense if you think about it. If God is truly God, if he is transcendent over all things, completely other than creation, the almighty king of kings, then our human words cannot possibly adequately represent who he is, right? The glory and the wonder of who he is, our human words and thoughts cannot come close to expressing accurately who he is. You know what I mean? And so when the Holy Spirit prays through someone, speaks in tongues through someone, now you are speaking in, in what Paul seems to refer to in chapter 13 as angelic speech, heavenly speech. Perhaps then these words get a little bit closer to, uh, to praising God adequately for, for who he is. And the, and the sixth thing here, and it's, not so, it's, it's kind of more a general thing, it comes out more in Romans 8, but it's that the gift of speaking in tongues springs from human weakness. It's not an expression of strength, it's an expression of weakness. And I think this is maybe one of the most misunderstood uh, parts of this gift. One of the the reasons it's often misused is because people treat it like this kind of, I'm going to show off, look at me, look what I can do. I was watching some of these videos, came across one, uh, this bombastic televangelist, not going to name names. But he's, he's up there and he's he's actually in Canada. He's he's a he's a southerner, but he's in Canada and he's and he's talking and he's like talking about how oh we're sitting under the authority of these of these territories and um, uh and he's clearly trying to come up with the word province right. But obviously he has no idea what he's talking about. So he's just tr- like uh like uh, our, uh sitting under territories and uh he's just like he's he's getting embarrassed right. Like he can't think of this word. And so all of a sudden out of the blue just. Boom! Like speaking in tongues. Like, you didn't know what to say, and so you just thought, okay, i got I to save face here, right? i gotta, I got to show that I'm still very spiritual, even though I can't remember the word province. And I just, I think, no, that's not what this gift is about. Again, in Romans 8, Paul says, in our weakness, the Holy Spirit speaks through us. It's when, it's when you've come to the end of yourself, when you've come to the end of the rope, when, when you feel this, this, this burden this 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 kind of like yearning and you don't know how to express it it's it's like this groaning i think that's often where that's often where the gift of tongues finds its its place is when is when we are weak and broken and we simply uh, we've got this this longing that can't be expressed in in words so it comes from weakness, not from strength. This is not some kind of prideful show-off kind of thing. This is like you're down in the dust and, and, and the Holy Spirit speaks through you. So you bring this all together, and, and this is what we would say then, that the gift of tongues is Holy Spirit-empowered speech where human words fail, not understandable by people apart from the gift of interpretation, we'll talk about that later, but, but expressing uh, praise or intercession to God in, in words that we ourselves often don't understand. So that's kind of what the gift is, make sense? Let's talk about who speaks in, uh, in tongues, who gets this gift? Uh, is it only people in one denomination? Is it only, like, you know, men or women? Like, who, who gets to speak in this, in this, uh, in tongues? And I'm getting here at the Pentecostal, the classic Pentecostal doctrine that speaking in tongues is the evidence that someone is filled by the Holy Spirit. And that God really wants every believer to have this gift. That's kind of what Pentecostals have classically believed. And the one verse that might lead people in that direction in this, in this uh, passage is verse five, where Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. You go, well, case closed. Paul wants it. Who are you to deny him what Paul wants? You're gonna disappoint him? You're gonna meet him in heaven? You're gonna be like, sorry, Paul, I didn't wanna do what you said, you know? Like, like you know, give Paul what he wants except in the very next phrase, he says, but I would rather have you prophesy. And he doesn't actually seem to think that either of these things are going to happen for everyone. And it's kind of the whole point of chapter 12, the whole analogy, the the image of a body that God has given different uh, different parts, different abilities for the common good. He uh, he says, "Look, if, if if the whole body was an eye, that would not be that would not be a body, right? That's that's a monstrosity." We said this. So the Holy Spirit gives gives a wide variety of gifts. At the end of chapter twelve, Paul says, "Are are all apostles? Are all prophets? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret?" And if after the whole of chapter 12 you say, yes, yes, all are, I would say you're pretty bad at reading your Bible. That's clearly not the answer that Paul is looking for. It's clearly no. Not everybody uh, has all of these gifts. Not everybody's going to be an apostle. Not everybody is going to speak in tongues. Um, And add to that the fact that Paul will will say other things that he wishes for all the Corinthians, but that he clearly doesn't expect to happen. So in chapter 7, he's talking about his singleness. Or singleness, a a marital status that he himself possesses. And he actually says, I wish that all of you were as I am. And he doesn't say that because there are some girls in Corinth he wishes that he could date. You know, like, I wish you were single. That didn't go over well. Uh, It's because because he goes, well, when you're single, like me, you, you have more freedom to serve God. Uh, and, and yet, he says right after that, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. He goes, yeah, I would, I would like you to speak in tongues, but, uh, I, but I don't expect you all to. I'd like you all to be single, but that's not going to happen. So I, I just can't buy the Pentecostal doctrine that everybody's going to have this gift or that it is the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Some people have this gift, some people don't. And that's, that's totally okay. Raises another question, though, which is, if, um, if let's see, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm going on this right. If, if, if the one person, uh, if, if the person who speaks in tongues prays to God, then who does this benefit? If, if the only God understands and nobody else does, then what is the point of this gift? That's the third question. Um, Paul says it pretty clearly in verse 4. He says that the one who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. The person who speaks in the tongue edifies themselves. And if you don't know what the word edify means, that's, that's a construction word. You think about the word edifice, building edifice. It's about building up, encouraging, strengthening. And Paul says that the person who benefits from the gift of tongues is the person who speaks in tongues. They, they build themselves up. And at first that might sound really selfish. It sounds like it goes against everything that Christians are supposed to be about. How dare you do something to help yourself, right? You should be about benefiting others. But actually, to edify yourself is okay as well. We do this all the time. I mean, every time you eat a meal, you are primarily eating the meal to strengthen your body, to benefit yourself. Whenever you exercise, if you go to the gym, or if you're doing the gross grind, you're, you're doing it to benefit yourself, to build up your body. You have to remember this the next time you're puking Papa John's Pizza all over Hollyburn Mountain, as your thighs burn with an unholy fire, and you look up and discover somehow, miraculously, you're only one quarter of the way up the mountain. You've got to remember this is for your benefit, this is for your own good, you're edifying yourself. <laughs> You know, the Old Testament actually makes a really big deal of Sabbath for this reason, right? God gives the Sabbath this one day where you are to rest from all your work, all your labors. You're to stop from all of that and rest. Why? For your own sake. Jesus makes this point because the Jewish people had become really legalistic about Sabbath. And Jesus says to them, look, don't you know that, that Sabbath or that man was not made for Sabbath? People weren't created so that they would follow a bunch of rules, but that the Sabbath was made for man. It was made for people's benefit so that they would rest and be restored and and be healed. And so... So, there's nothing wrong with with a gift that edifies yourself. This is a good thing. This is why Paul says one of the more astounding things he says in this chapter. He says in verse, what is it? it, uh, It's in verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's like the Michael Jordan of tongue speaking. He's like, You think you have something on me? I'm going to drop 50 points on you. Right? I speak in tongues more than all the rest of you. I mean, Paul is really big on this gift. He has this gift and he uses it with a lot of regularity. He is built up by it. He's encouraged by this. People who, speak, who can speak in tongues who've been given that gift would say that this, this is an expression of intimacy in prayer with God. It draws them near to God. Paul thinks this is an incredible thing, and he wishes that everyone would receive this benefit. And so regardless of what, whatever negative feelings or experiences you might have with this gift, you have to hear what Paul is saying here, that this is a gift, a good gift from God that accomplishes good things. But it does raise a fourth question, which is that if, if it only benefits primarily the person speaking, and it's directed to God, and no one understands, then what is the proper place for this gift in the gathered church? When, when, when Christians come together, when people come together to worship, what is the place of this gift? And this is really Paul's big point in this, uh, in this section, and this is where we're going to spend the most time. Uh, every time Paul kind of concludes a thought in this section, he concludes it with a similar kind of phrase. So li- listen again. I'm just going to read some of, these, some of these again. Verse 5, he says the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. What's Paul's concern? That the church, the people, be built up and encouraged. Verse 12, he says, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church strengthen the whole the whole people. Verse 17, you're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. Paul's concerned that other people are not being edified. Verse 19, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's the drop the mic, the boom moment. He goes, look, I would rather speak five intelligible words in 10. That's a 2,000 to 1 ratio if you can do your math. Uh, where where he's saying, look, it's all about benefiting others. I mean, if you were to take what Paul says here in this section and ask what is is the proper desire and goal when we gather together for worship, what would it be? What is the point of us coming together? It's pretty inescapable to me that one of the main points of coming together is for each other, to bless others, to build them up, to edify them, to express our agape love, which is what we talked about last week, that committed, uh, des- uh, committed decision to lift others up, that we come together to be able to bless and benefit others. That's what, that's what we come together for. And this kind of gets back to the distinction we made last week between eros love and agape love. You remember this? Nobody does, all right. I have to go into the whole thing again. I won't. I won't do that. But uh, but eros love is 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 is. It tends to be this form of love that is very kind of self-centered. It's about me. I've got have got a desire, and you, this person is going. You're you're going to satisfy this desire within me. It's all about me being lifted up. That's kind of what eros love is about. And that's how some people approach corporate worship. That's how, how some people approach coming to uh, to a worship service. This is this is about me. This is about me getting an experience. This is about me feeling things. You know, I'm going to get there, and we're going to get the music going, and the bass thumping, and and then the pastor's going to share some sappy stories, and and then the synth is going to be playing as, like, he makes his final point, and I'm going to start feeling the feels, and the final song happens, and, like, the fog machine and the smoke machine is going, and it's like I'm in heaven here. I'm feeling the feels, you know? If that's the point... If that's the point of coming together for worship so that you have an individual experience, you could do that at home. I mean, we don't even have a smoke machine here. You could buy one, have it at home, and it would be even better than being here. You could do it whenever it's most convenient or comfortable for you, right? Because if that's what it's for, then who needs everybody else, right? But if, if our mode of existence as Christians is to be agape love if it's to be this other-oriented commitment to benefit and bless others, if, if a main point of us gathering together is to be able to build others up and express this agape love, then that changes things, doesn't it? Because then when we come together, this, this is the question we're asking, is not what am I going to get out of this, but how can I, how can I bless others? How can I encourage others? How can I use the gifts God has given me to to encourage the whole church? And you do this in a bunch of ways. You actually do this just by showing up on a Sunday morning, to be honest. I mean, when when we come together and we see that other people are here, that encourages the whole church, right? That's something that we go, okay, we're, we're together in this. You do it when, when you use your gifts to serve in various capacities on, on a Sunday morning. You do it when you're part of a community group and, and you're speaking words of encouragement to others. You're praying for others. You do it in a, in a discipleship group. You do it in all kinds of ways. Whenever the church gathers, your question is how can I use my gifts to, to bless others? Now, I, I want to give an important caveat here because, of course, there are people who come, lots of people who come, and they're like, I need to be fed. I need to be restored. I'm broken. I'm in this place where life has fallen apart. And and this is where you should be. Because the church, some people have said, the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. In fact, if, if you are here and you have your life all together and you don't need anyone or anything, this is probably not the place for you. Because because this is a place, the church is a place for people who know that they're broken, who know that they're sinners, who know that they are desperately dependent on the grace of God. So when I say our primary desire should be to bless others, I, I do know that, that there are going to be seasons in our lives where, where we are desperately needing people to kind of speak to us, encourage us, build us up. But I think what Paul is saying here is especially about gifts. The gifts of the Spirit, that when we use these gifts in the gathered assembly, that it is all about benefiting, blessing, loving others. That's the goal when we use these gifts. And Paul's contention in this chapter, pretty frankly, pretty bluntly, is that speaking in tongues just doesn't do that. He uses a couple of analogies. He uses uh, the analogy of, of musical instruments. He says, uh, for, for people to understand what an instrument is playing, you, you need to be able to hear the distinction in the notes. When I was in grade seven, everybody had to play in the, uh, the school band. Everybody had to. So me and one of my close friends, we chose the tuba, which... Why do you laugh, guys? It's a legitimate instrument. But it was a terrible choice because, because I had to walk to school every day in uphill, both ways. Minus 40 degrees, driving wind and snow. Actually, most of that's true, except for the uphill, because I grew up in Manitoba, but everything else is is true. And so the tuba never came home, and it never got practiced. And the whole reason we chose the tuba was so that we could learn the A&W theme song. (laughs) Boom, 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 boom. Is that familiar at all? Second time that you guys have been treated to music by me, so. uh, we, that was the whole purpose, and nobody could understand what we were playing. We had, there was no distinction in the notes. It was just a constant farting sound. That's all it was when we played the tuba. So nobody could understand, right? You've got to understand. If, if the instrument is going to be useful, you have to be able to understand. Same thing Paul says with a with bugle, military bugle. You know, you usher a call to wake people up or get them ready for battle. But if, if nobody understands the calling, the significance of it, then why blow the thing? It's just an annoyance. It's just a grating on the ears. You you have to be able to comprehend. Otherwise, it's it's, it's pointless with other people. And he uses the same kind of analogy with with foreign languages. And this is not to say that speaking in tongues actually, that they are foreign languages. But but the analogy is, Paul says, if, if someone is speaking a different language, you're a foreigner to them. Now this is, a, this is a fun little uh, linguistic fact. This is going to be one of those things you can be like, did you know? So the Greek word that Paul uses for foreigner is the word barbaros. That's where we get the English word barbarian from. That's how, that's how the Greeks said, uh, a foreigner, they said barbaros. And the reason, this is, I'm not making this up, the reason that they called them barbaros is because in their ears, that's what foreign languages sounded like. It sounded to them like bar, 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 bar. It just sounded like gibberish. And so they said, you're barbaros, because that's all I'm hearing, bar, 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 bar. Paul says that's, that's what it's like when somebody speaks a different language. You're left out. It doesn't make any sense to you. And Paul doesn't want that. He doesn't want people to be, to be left out when they're gathered together because, again, the point is to build one another up. And so the, the end, the end uh, kind of the, the, the final like, point or the conclusion that Paul comes to with tongues is that really in the gathered assembly, they, they're not to be used unless there's an interpreter. And he mentions this, he implies it in, uh, in verse 13. He makes it really clear later on in the chapter in verses 27 and 28, where he says that two or three should speak in tongues at most in the gathered church, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep silent in the church. Now, just to talk briefly about this gift. So, interpretation is another gift of the Holy Spirit, and it is simply the uh, the divine empowered ability to understand what the content of tongues is and to be able to explain that to others. And if you Google, I I, I recommend you Google this later on as well. Watch videos about this. Look for uh, speaking in tongues and interpretation, because you'll find examples of people speaking in tongues out loud in church, and then right away, there's an interpretation. Now, you don't know for sure if the interpretation is correct, but you don't really, discernment is required for all the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, The other challenge is that in Corinth, you would have had 25 people, maybe 50 maximum, meeting together at one time. And so you probably had a pretty good sense about who had this gift. Whereas in a, in a larger church setting, even like ours, you, you don't really know that as, as well, right? You don't know if somebody has this gift, which is why Paul says that if someone's going to speak in tongues, they should really pray that they themselves will be able to interpret, that they will have this gift. And so I, I would say that too, that oftentimes the person who has the gift of interpretation will be the person who themselves speaks in tongues. Uh, in any case, Paul says, if that happens, then great, then other people can be edified. They can understand. They can say amen. But apart from that, the gathered church assembly is not the place for this gift. Now, having said all that, is there a place for somebody to speak in tongues quietly in a way that that doesn't distract or uh, kind of overtake uh, the, the, the worship time? Is there a place for a much smaller group where everybody's on board with it? I tend to think there's some room for that. Because again, I don't know if the point is to draw hard lines here. The, the whole point Paul is making is that you need to, you need to be asking, am, am I loving others here? And when we gather together, is my exercise of the gifts I'm using, is it building others up? Is it benefiting people? Because if it's not, then don't, then don't do it, essentially. A fifth question, final question. Paul doesn't just talk about tongues. He doesn't just talk about interpretation in this section. He also talks about prophecy. And we're going to talk about this more next week. We've mentioned it a few times already. It's this kind of communicating a word from God into a particular situation. But the question here is, why does Paul compare tongues to prophecy? Why does he kind of set these two especially, kind of comparing them to one another? Because he does. Listen to some of these these words again. He says in verse 1, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Verse 6, he says, what good will I be to you if I'm just speaking in tongues unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? And then again, verse 19, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul's going, look. The gift of prophecy, that's, that's what you want. That's, you wanna, that's what you want to strive for. That's what you want to earnestly desire from the Spirit. Because whereas the gift of tongues is primarily directed to God, the gift of prophecy is, is directed towards other people. Whereas the gift of tongues is speaking in in indecipherable, ununderstandable words or sounds, the gift of prophecy is all about speaking a clear word from God into a situation in a language that people will understand. Whereas the gift of tongues is primarily self- edifying, which again, in its right context, is good and fine. The gift of prophecy is primarily other-oriented. It's about building others up. He says in verse four, it's about about edifying others. Verse 3, he says, the one who prophesies strengthens, encourages, and comforts others. And so Paul actually says, when you're gathered together, prophecy is greater than tongues. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Not because God loves them more, not because they've accomplished more, not because they have higher status in the world, but because it is An expression of agape love for other people. This is what Jesus says in Mark 10 in terms of greatness. How you define greatness in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom For many, greatness in the kingdom of God is defined by servanthood. It's defined by how much you are able to love others with that agape love, that other-oriented commitment to lift them up. So eagerly desire the gifts that enable you to do this. Eagerly, passionately desire the gifts, like prophecy, that enable you to build others up and encourage them. Now, I want to conclude by kind of reflecting on that a little bit more. You were made in God's image. That's Genesis 1, right? You were made in God's image. You were made to reflect him, to show the world what he is like. And we often don't do that, do we? That's where sin comes in. Sin is our failure to reflect God's character to others. But Jesus did not fail. The Bible says that Jesus is in very nature God, that he is the image of the invisible God, that he is the exact representation of God's being. He shows us perfectly and fully what God is like, and this is what we read about his character. That he, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, almighty, came down into human flesh, came down into our world, and gave his life for you and for me. And we're not exactly at his level, right? And yet he gave his life for us. He served in this way. That's what God is like. And so you put this together. You were made in God's image, made to reflect him. And the Son of Man came and gave his life as a ransom for many, which means that you were made for this. You were made to bless others. You were created To benefit others. You were created to love. You were created for agape love. This is when you live most fully into the way God has created you, wired you, designed you, is when you love others. You were not created to wait hand and foot on others, you were not created to passively consume. You were created to love. And so step into your calling to agape love. Be an active member of the body of Christ. Use your gifts to bless and serve others. Search, eagerly desire gifts that will enable you to do that more. Because again, you were made for this. So Jesus, thank you that you show us and remind us what we were made for, what we were created for. That you show us, Lord, that we are most fully human when we love with an agape love. And that the, the whole purpose in us gathering together is that we might strengthen and encourage one another in the name of Jesus so that we can all together make you known in the world. So, Lord, may that be the case. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray, first of all, Lord, that they would know that they would know Lord in the deepest parts of them that you gave your life for them. That they would know just the wonder and awe that you have given your life as a ransom for us to set us free. I pray Lord that they would be, that they would be so filled with gratitude for that that they would want to serve you and to bless others as well, Lord, that that would be the response in their lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us more gifts. Give us gifts, Lord, that would enable us to, to, to encourage others, to strengthen others, to comfort others, to speak your words to others. Give us more of those gifts, Holy Spirit. We pray you'd give us the gift of evangelism. Give us the gift of prophecy. Give us the gift of teaching and preaching and encouragement, give us the gift of serving and and giving, Lord, we pray that you would give us these gifts that would enable us to strengthen the whole body. Jesus, we pray that you would be lifted high in our midst, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us at the Bridge Church in This Way. If God has spoken to you through his word, or if you're wanting to reach out to pray, or just wanting to know more about our church, access our website. There, you can connect with us and also have access to other contents. We are a church that lives to know Jesus Christ personally and to make Him known. We believe He is the hope of the world and wants to give you hope as well. We believe the best news ever has come in and through Him. May you know Him more and make Him known today. We'd love to hear from you.